Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history-specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. This conversation is part of the series, All Things Saucy, top tips to help students use sources as evidence. Hello, this podcast is about top tips for using sources like a historian. Not long ago, I took a long, hard look at how I used sources at Key Stage 3, and I found too much of using sources to just reveal information, really to use a great source to learn context uh, or content instead of an old textbook page. Sort of nice, but actually not enough to prepare students for GCSE and not giving students the experience of how historians often use sources as evidence. Mm, I see. Yeah. So, so what does that mean for our handy tips? Yeah, good question. Well, I think Historians approach sources with a question in mind. Um, they're looking to find out what it reveals about the question that interests them. That might be, what does the Doomsday Book, the source, reveal about how Northern England changed between 1066 and 1086? Or it might be, what does a prison record book as a source reveal about the type of crimes committed in Lincoln between 1850 and 1870. But I think what that means is that they're looking for specific information they could use as evidence. They're not just randomly finding out stuff. And I think so tip one for me would always be to ask students to use sources for a specific purpose, really to answer a historical question. Yeah, I, I get that. I think that's really important. Um, a historian always uses sources with background knowledge um, so to read a prison book, a historian needs to know about how they were written, how crimes were described, um, as well as wider knowledge about the person writing it, about the time and the place where, you know, where it's written. Um, and so do our students, you know. So um, top tip two um, is that they're going to get more out of source work um, if they have that supporting knowledge first. Exactly. Yeah. If they have knowledge, then they can fit the source into an existing schema and they can sift between sources to make decisions about which sources are, are most useful for the question they have with with no knowledge that they're, they're just guessing. Yeah, agreed. Um, uh, but sometimes you, you might want to use a source collection at the start of a unit and to help students get a bit more of a flavour of the coming content. So I'm thinking of the, the picture galleries of medieval life pictures that at the start of some textbooks, um, for example, or I've got a particular favourite where we watch a, a Greek art gallery video on YouTube accompanied by, by some really kicking original Roman music. Um, but in this case, I think it's really important to make it clear to students 
that they're gathering some initial knowledge here um, that they're going to test later on in the unit, that these are currently sources of information, but that we will need to come back to re-examine them before we work out how we're going to use them as evidence. Yeah, thanks, Sal. You've, you've really refined that, that tip there. Um, so first ideas, uh, guesses, um, posher word, hypotheses are, are really, really useful with sources. Yeah, so um, initially we've, we've got some first ideas, but we're going to take them further. And picking up your last point about, about coming back to use them as evidence, I think that's tip three. Make it clear that historians use sources as evidence to make claims. There are some really good examples of making this clear to students. A simple way to do it is to take a piece of historians writing on a topic, put some of the sources around it and get students to see how the historian has drawn from the sources to put their view together. I think this is easier with early periods where there are less sources perhaps feeding in. Um, and in fact, you know, there's a really good example of that if you go to the HA website and if you search for sorry, this is a bit long, but if you search for protecting the curriculum jewel of interpretations, HA annual conference 2016 workshop material. I'm just going to say that again. It's like a phone <laughs> number. Protecting the curriculum jewel of interpretations, HA annual conference 2016 workshop material. But if you dig in there, you'll find a lovely example of using Nero that Christine Council developed goddess of this sort of thing <laughs> really focuses on the process of using sources as evidence and that I think is really really rich for students in year seven they, they just get it yeah yeah absolutely I think if you can find something that uses a good example for the students and that's grounded in good history then it really helps them with that um, okay so tip four uh, then is to make it really clear to students that historians can use the same sources as evidence and come up with different opinions which is always a slightly mind-blowing experience for them. Um, I always uh, so think about um, uh, threshold concepts in history and I think this is kind of a part of, of one of those that it, once they get it they, you know, it's, it's a real game changer for them. Um, so this might be, you know, they might come up with different opinions because the source is ambiguous or fragmentary, um, or it might be because the question being asked is different, or maybe because the historian has a different allegiance or agenda. Uh, very often it's just because one historian is a different person who sees the world differently from another historian or person. Yeah, and I think this is really quite hard for old minds, never mind young minds, this idea that different people see the world differently. Um, and so we need an activity at Key Stage 3 that, that really explicitly reveals this. A source that, that um, we could use to develop these from um, is actually on that um, One Big History Department blog site that the HA run because on there you'll find a whole list of historians with links to short clips um, and another colleague brilliantly put um, QR codes alongside them and they're really really short three four minute clips of, of historians talking about specific topics but you can use them to make it very clear that historians use um, sources as evidence to create interpretations about the past some of them they talk about what sources exist um, but you can really get into as well how different historians use the same sources. And and those are such key, such key, key questions. But you're so right, Sally. It's a real sort of threshold understanding moment that we need to keep keep plugging away at. Yeah, it is really tricky stuff um, but and, and worth worth persevering with. So tip five is 
don't be tempted to reach for the simplistic and the general um stock words and phrases out of context just won't help you know bias reliable useful and um, they're all meaningless unless they're understood w- with knowledge of time and place you can keep coming back to that you know we all know that the the gcse uses these these words but if the students don't understand that they have to apply it to the inquiry in the question um, then it doesn't matter how well you've drilled them on on answering that question because it's so dependent on what that inquiry is and historians don't use those words um, and so we you know ideally we shouldn't either. I think completely so it's taken me so long in my practice to work out that time and place are just absolutely crucial to understanding and general words just make life harder for students. I think we're going on to six tips today, big day today. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think really we just also need to get nerdy, just like a historian with sources. Um, I think I think for me that means actually pictures of the actual sources. So, you know, not typed up versions or at least if you have got a manuscript, at least with the brilliant digital quality we have these days, put a text of the manuscript to the left and then a translation you know a typed up version to the right so that they can see it otherwise again it's just like any old type uh, with a picture I think that's obviously absolutely essential but I think it can really add intrigue to be able to you know see the handwriting see the smudged ink see the curled edges of the brown paper it it gets right into exactly what information is revealed and how our views expressed and what is the precise choice of words that's made in a source? That gets really, really interesting as well. I think spending time with a source. I used to give kids far too many sources and increasingly I would just go for like one gorgeously chosen rich source and delve into use of language, shape of, of um, the the whole way that it's put together, the tone of it. What the words reveal about the obsessions of the producer of the source. I think just making sources things of wondrous mystery in the way that somebody like Neil McGregor would do. I'm off on a nerdy point now. I'm, I'm yeah, off no, on one. Go on, Sal. I, carry I, on. I'm, yeah, no, I'm totally, I'm totally with you on the nerd. It's making me think of my current favourite source book for teaching tutors at A level, which is, um, and, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's it's beautifully done. So on the left hand side is a picture of the original source, and then on the right hand side is a is it written. Um, you know written out typed out so that you can compare the two but I love you just think that's Gorgeous. the handwriting of Mary the first that's or, or Catherine of, it's got Catherine of Aragon's letter in there you know when she wrote home from Flodden saying you know I wanted to oh. send you his head but they wouldn't let me and I just like having that in front of you yeah I, I think that has to be our well-being tip today is is about nurture not about sending people the head but about nurturing your inner history nerd um, so you have to keep alive your love of history your yourself and to keep enjoying what you spend so much of your life talking about yes absolutely so I'm going to share my favorite head mess fact of the moment did you know in England in 1500 only two percent of women and ten percent of men could write so that means that only a very very few people who were alive left a direct message a source to us in writing and most of them are men and imagine if all that was left of today was written down by leading male politicians and a few leading female journalists. Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> would be, that would be crazy. But that is that. I love that fact. That is a proper nerd fact. You know, not many people sliding into your DMs from the past <laughs> straight away. So, um, yeah, great. Thanks very much. That's a great tip.
Good to chat with you, Sally. Take care. Yes, you. Bye.